Check, check. All right. Awesome. Check, check. How's that? So I'm going to try something different. Experimenting here in season two of Indie Angelus Boyhood. Once again, welcome to anyone who may be listening. For whatever reason, I don't know why, because I don't know a single person in Germany, but some of the episodes of this podcast have just such a high percentage, and when I say high percentage, that means like maybe 10 downloads in Frankfurt. And I don't know if it's one particular person downloading them. I don't know if it's a hacker. I don't know if it's a group of people who sit around actually listening and discussing Indie Angelus Boyhood. If there is, thank you very much. But uh, this is season two. My name is Jesse Bob Harper. I am the host and creator of this little podcast. It is about being born and raised in Indiana, but really feeling as if I grew up as I became who I am in the city of Los Angeles. And today I really wanted because I have been focusing so much on my time in Los Angeles, and I recently was in L.A. for a few days and got to sit down with Michael Goldberg and visiting some friends. And I really wanted to focus on an aspect of my childhood in Indiana, uh, something that makes me quintessentially Midwestern. However, uh, I think, as everybody knows... The Oscars uh, were broadcast this last weekend, and I wanted to actually devote this episode. Uh, and if you've listened to the podcast previously, you know we have talked about the Oscars before. But I sort of wanted to give the perspective of the Oscars on someone whom lived in Los Angeles for really the majority of his adult life. And when it comes to Hollywood, there's two ways in which to think of Hollywood. There's the metaphorical Hollywood, the entertainment capital, television and film. And it's this metaphorical place, this metaphorical, uh, almost adjective. And then there's the actual city, the actual place, Hollywood. And so I'm going to be using both metaphorical idea of Hollywood as well as the physical places of Hollywood. And metaphorically speaking, if the industry, the film industry, the television industry was Hollywood, my friends and I lived on the outskirts of Hollywood, metaphorically. We were in the industry in some way, in some capacity. If nothing more, we were reading the trades, the variety, the Hollywood reporter on a daily basis. If we could steal it from one of the offices to whom we delivered the mail. But we... If, if Hollywood was the capital of the industry, we were living in P Pomona or in Chatsworth. We weren't even in Studio City, right? We were all in some sort of varying degree within the proximity of the industry. We occupied that sad, lonely, no man's land that nobody wanted to spend more than a year in, uh, existing just close enough to success, just close enough to stardom that you could develop very easy, easily equal amounts of jealousy and envy. And so that's that's how I came to view in many ways, not just the Oscars, but all of the award shows that came up and, and out of that. And 
obviously, if you watch the Oscars, everyone, whether we want to or not, I didn't watch them this year, but whether we want to talk about it, whether we want to even be aware of it, I mean, we all saw what occurred between Will Smith and Chris Rock and that slap. And I know people had sent me the footage, the raw footage from like the Japanese broadcast and the Australian broadcast. And I, I have sort of glanced at them only because in a way, it's one of those cringeworthy, I'm embarrassed for the participants type thing. And it's hard for me to watch it. Um, you know, spending really my 20s and 30s as just an actor for hire. And oftentimes you would work for free and everybody who wanted to be an actor or seriously wanted to work as an actor would inevitably work for free, whether in a independent production, whether in a student film, um, you know, sometimes obviously I was paid. Sometimes I even received union rate. It was rare, but I did. Um, but usually what you worked for, what was called real and food, right? Real and lunch. And why you did that is because you would do these productions for free with the understanding that when the production was over, you would receive some footage that you could then use on your demo reel, which would be the way you could get actually paying gigs, better gigs, right? So you would do an acting gig uh, for real and food, real and lunch. The reality was... The reality was you rarely got the real, right? You ra rarely got that footage. I would say maybe 50% of the time, and that's being generous, you would actually end up with some footage you could use on your demo reel. And the food that you were fed, you were served, you never really wanted to eat anyway. I mean, it was inevitably either Del Taco, like bean and cheese burritos, or it was some mess in a crock pot sitting on a folding table most likely made by the producer's mom and brought in like, you know, eight hours before you were supposed to eat it. But I'm a member of the Screen Actors Guild, Screen uh, SAG after now, after the unions merged, and I occasionally did get paid gigs. Um, and the interesting thing about my perspective, my aspect was that even though I wasn't working in let's say studio film I wasn't working in television in no way in any way on a regular basis I was for quite a while an extra because that was how you got your screen actors card and the great thing about being an extra one of the most degrading dehumanizing things is to be an extra because you're basically treated like a prop but that has a silver lining in that the directors, the producers, the writers, most especially the stars, would not actually consider you a real human being with uh, he the capacity to hear, to see, to watch. And so if you just sat down, you could see how these people interacted with one another when the cameras weren't rolling. Uh, I also was very close to someone who was a writer for an entertainment magazine, a journalist for an entertainment magazine. And so I was able to attend many premieres, many after parties uh, with this person. And so at first, that was something which was glorious and great because you got this free, amazing food. And if you could ever see the amounts of money that is wasted on these parties, on these premieres, it's just staggering. And I don't know if it's still done this way, but at one point it definitely was. So I have 
this connection or I had this connection to people working in the industry, to successful people in the industry, to people um, that were, for lack of a better term, celebrities, to famous people. And I was able to see them with, in a way, their guard down, not knowing someone was watching them. I also worked at a hotel for many years as a bellman, and I was a chauffeur. And so I served these people as well. And I drove them, I carried their bags. So I have really had the opportunity to observe these people in their normal habitat, if you will. Uh, Because of my friend who was the journalist, I actually was, uh, I have attended the Golden Globes Award ceremony on numerous occasions as a guest. Um, And so I got to see how they act when the cameras are not rolling at at these award show. And if you are a regular listener to the podcast, which I hope you are, and if you aren't, you should probably review and subscribe. But you know that my friend from LA and I talked one time about us being feet seat fillers at the Oscars. We were seat fillers. So when they would cut to commercial um, and they would come back from commercial if the actor or the director wasn't in their seat. So the uh, auditorium would not look empty. They would have us go and fill their seat till they returned. So I, I have some sort of a connection to this. I have some sort of idea of how these people uh, operate and how they talk and how they communicate with one another. And being a kid for me growing up in a small town in Indiana, I was obsessed with the Oscars. I mean, this was before really the Golden Globes and the Screen Actors Guild. It was the Oscars this one time a year. And even from a very young age, because I knew I wanted to be in the entertainment industry, because I knew I wanted to be in the film industry. And I really had no one to discuss that with. At 10 years old or 11 years old or 9 years old, uh, if you stayed up late watching the Oscars, it wasn't as if you came in after a double header on the night before and you could talk to your buddies out in the schoolyard about it. I really had no one to share that experience uh, with. The... Uh, the times in which even as a kid, you know, you are growing up one day hoping to be there, to be recognized and uh, practicing your acceptance speech over and over again in the bathroom mirror or as you're driving and having that go on for years. And the longer you are in the middle of it, the longer you're right there on the outskirts of it, the longer you can see it and you can hear it and you can observe it, but you are not a part of it. Uh, because the opportunity doesn't come. You you never get on that bus to stardom because you never even got to the bus stop, right? You never even got anywhere near the bus stop. So you never had a ticket. Um, and look, I'm not blaming the fates. I'm not blaming... Uh, it could have been through my own fault. There could have been missed opportunities. There could have been classes not taken. There could have been studies not done. There could have been, you know, other things I could have done to possibly get on that bus. But at the end of the day, I never did. Uh, and that just creates this, um, you know, you begin to realize slowly, but definitely surely that this just isn't going to happen. Right. I mean, you reach a certain age and I can remember having conversations with my friends in LA saying, God, man, if I'm still 30 years old, sending my headshot out, trying to get an acting gig, I'm going back home or I'm not going to be doing this when I'm, you know, 32 or 33. And you, you, Something that you had loved, uh, something that you had looked forward to, 
turns into something that you resent. It it's like a broken heart in a lot of ways. It really is. It's it's not a bad relationship that ends. It's more like a bad breakup. And you really realize it wasn't even a relationship at all. It it was just your own infatuation, right? With some stalking throwing in, thrown in, right? Like you, it's just this infatuation. It's just one-sided. And you realize, you know, this was hope and aspiration, right? And a dream. And that's, that's it. It was hope and an aspiration and a dream. And you begin to really resent that success and you become jealous and envious and you really represent the representation of all of that, which is the Oscars, right? So one day you just stop calling that girl you're in love with. You just stop, right? You just, for your own peace of mind, for your own well-being, for your own mental health, you just stop calling that girl. And cause you know that it's never going to be reciprocated. And that's what I did uh, with the Oscars. I just stopped watching because every year, if I did, it would create this resentment and this jealousy that I would have to carry around with me. Um, because you, you feel worse after talking to her than you did if you don't talk to her at all. And it would became for me sort of this, I guess, it was a resentment and a jealousy, and and then it became, and I I don't even really like saying this because it sounds sort of affected, and and um, it, you realize just how silly the whole thing is, and you realize how silly it is when you're watching it from the outside, but when you're watching it from the outside with also a foot in it and around it, uh, it really is sort of a s- silly proposition, and so. One of the things I'm most grateful for is that I still don't watch the Oscars and I can still sometimes when I see the promos for the show coming up, I can feel that that little tinge of jealousy and resentment and envy, um, which will probably, uh, I hate to say, never go away. But it just becomes uh, something that you're able to have an epiphany and you realize, you know, this really is in a way, very silly, uh, these award shows. So I didn't watch it this year and I did obviously see, uh, the slap that Will Smith, um, committed against Chris Rock. I, I've seen, you know, I woke up the night after the Oscars and I had received some texts from some friends, friends in the industry, friends um, from Indiana saying, did you see what happened last night? And to me, it, it represents two things. And again, I mean, my God, the fact that we're talking about this, or I'm talking about this, and there's a war going on in Ukraine, um, seems so uh, vapid. But the fact is, is that it's a cultural phenomenon. I mean, the Oscars is something that uh, is a cultural phenomenon. And that slap is, you know, been, uh, I opened up the New York Times, and there was four stories on the front page about this particular slap, you can't get away from it. So you, in some way have to address it, you have to, uh, it's a part of our culture. And it's a part of, you know, a larger discussion, I think. And what it showed to me, and, and one of the reasons in a lot of ways that I guess I should be grateful for never having been admitted to that club is 
one thing is just how incredibly serious these entertainers, these, and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I think the job they do is a worthy job. Obviously I had tried to do it and I feel it's a calling and I think it's uh, admirable and worthy and an honorable profession to create entertainment. But the way in which they take themselves so seriously and from the outside looking in, the reason they do is because we do, right? They do take themselves too seriously. They do take themselves um, as pinnacles of some sort of cultural elite, but they do that because we do that, right? Because we build them up like that and we give them the space to take themselves seriously. And in fact, we almost tell them they have to take themselves seriously uh, by the way in which we behave around them. But really the, the thing that most struck me was just the abject hypocrisy in that auditorium that night. And I'm not just saying because Will Smith slapped Chris Rock and then he subsequently got a standing ovation for winning the Oscar. Just the hypocrisy of nobody standing up, of nobody saying anything um, that they have claimed to have been on the front lines for, such as toxic masculinity, whether you, whatever your position is on that or your opinion. But, you know, I can tell you one thing, Hollywood has been on the forefront of discussing that and have shining a light on it, whether it, it exists or not. Um, but, you know, I was thinking after I watched that and then watched the standing ovation, and we'll have to see what happens to Will Smith as a whole from the Academy, from the industry. But, you know, I was a D-level actor at best. I mean, at best, I was a D-level actor, right? Um, I was invited to some parties uh, where there were A-level actors. I was invited not as, you know, I was always the plus one. Don't get me wrong. No one ever said, hey, we better get Jesse Harper there. I was always the plus one of someone else who was invited. And so I've seen just this hypocrisy that exists uh, and looking at it at that level, the height of hypocrisy of that many people in one place at one time, it, in a lot of ways, uh, I resent them now, not so much because they didn't let me into the club, but because everything I had wanted, the life I had imagined I wanted, um, they really aren't who they purported to be, right? Or at least my young mind had created them to be. Um, it's just, you know, being on the outskirts of the industry for 22 years and um, working in, I didn't even work in an A-list hotel, right? I, I worked in a C-list hotel. Um, so I was nowhere near close to the upper echelon, like anywhere. I couldn't even see them with binoculars. But even I knew and all my friends knew everything Harvey Weinstein had done, everything he had been accused of, that was an open secret in Hollywood for 20 years. Everybody knew this guy was taking advantage of young actresses who wanted their big break. Everyone knew this guy probably raped women. And I'm talking everyone from Oprah Winfrey to Meryl Streep to everybody in that auditorium knew what was happening, right? There's no way they couldn't have known it if I knew it, right? And if my friends and I known it. And they were working with him closely on many occasions for decades. So so looking at this standing ovation, and then when you realize the 
uh, way, the indignant way they stood up after Harvey Weinstein had been accused, after he'd been arrested, after he'd been tried and convicted, um, and the way they purport to support this Me Too movement. And uh, just this, I don't know, and I don't even know why it sticks in my craw. Only other, the only reason I could... I could fathom why it sticks in my craw because it's sort of schadenfreude, like where I'm like, you know, I finally you realize just how, you know, and then again, I say all this about them being hypocritical. If I was called from the head of MGM tomorrow to say, hey, we want you to star in our next three blockbusters, I'd be on the first plane to L.A. So I don't know if this comes from a place of jealousy and envy or resentment or if this just comes from a place of clarity. But the hypocrisy that they are able to live with and that they are given a pass on. Uh, why I'm bothered by the fact that I even care about it. I'm bothered by the fact that it makes me angry. I'm bothered by the fact that I think it's an injustice when so much else is going on in the world. But again, I think that's just a cultural phenomenon that I am a part of and that I buy into. And it's hard uh, even now, not being interested in what happens and uh, within the industry and seeing some sort of comeuppance uh, happen, which I don't think it will, by the way. I don't think anyone is naive enough to think that anything will change. But um, I just am, I guess now that I've moved back to Indiana and that I've changed what I do and in some ways who I am, I'm now a criminal defense attorney and I hope and I pray that I, in a way, am able to help people protect their constitutional rights and their liberties and their freedoms. And I hope in some small, tiny way I fight for justice or fairness. And to see the inequities and the injustices and the hypocrisy just on full-blown view uh, for 20 million people worldwide or more to see uh, just sticks in my craw. And I don't know, the thing that upsets me the most is I don't know if I'm coming from a place of resentment and envy or if I'm really coming from a place of righteous <laughs> indignation. So, um, but I wanted to talk about it only because I have been there and only because I'm a member of the Screen Actors Guild and because I lived in LA. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think um, uh, it was just such a classless move for Will Smith to do what he did. Um, and I think it was entitlement. Uh, I think if one of my clients uh, in uh, small town Indiana walked up on a community theater stage and slapped somebody, uh, we would have already had his initial hearing and gotten a bond set. I mean, I just think the manner in which they are able to access a level that none of us can access. And it really shows you, even though the justice system isn't involved, just this two level of, uh, or it's really more than two levels. It's multi-levels of um, justice and retribution that we live under uh, was in uh, full view that night. And it just is something, even though I didn't want to talk about it, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to read about it anymore. It's just something you can't get away from. So I think in some ways, um, I think it's just as petty to say, well, you know, why are we talking about this? We can't talk about it as it is to talk about it. I think they're both petty. And I think that sort of is a mirror that reflects more on us as a culture right now than it does on um, maybe Hollywood. And like I said, they only 
operate the way they do because we encourage them to operate the way they do. In some ways, I think uh, we expect them to have more liberties and more freedom than we do. And that's something that I think that absolutely needs to change. And I've seen that firsthand, um, the way in which they, uh, and when I say they, I'm talking about successful people within the industry, um, treat people. And one day I will tell you about the time, um, I, uh, carried Courtney Love's bags to her room, uh, when she stayed at our hotel, which was wild, man. It was crazy. Uh, it was fantastic. And I remember being so excited because I'm like, wow, we finally have like a rock and roll person here destroying the room, which I had waited for for like 10 years while I worked at the hotel. And the time I, uh, actually drove John Cusack. This was long before GPS or uh, Google Maps. And um, I can just tell you this, the guy's a crybaby. So uh, having said all of that, this was just a real quick little commentary I wanted to do on uh, the Oscars, what happened, the slap. I don't know if it means anything to anybody, most likely not. Um, But please uh, stay tuned in. We will be coming back with more episodes hopefully next week um we'll be telling stories of growing up in indiana uh being born and raised in indiana but feeling as if i really grew up in los angeles we'll have some stories from indiana in the uh, coming weeks so thanks so much for listening and have a good day